Hi, this is attorney Jamie Miller from the Miller Law Chronicles. And today um, we are going to talk about taxes. We've just come out of tax year 2023 and we're in now in 2024 and people are going to start filing their taxes as they get those W-2s in the coming weeks. But I wanted to spend some time today with Dan Wasserman. He's a CPA here in Wisconsin. And Dan is going to talk about several issues to help our clients and help others who have tax issues take care of getting their taxes filed. So we're going to talk about several different issues like, wow, I haven't filed my taxes for years. How do I get my 1099s? How do I get my W-2s? How do I know if I even filed taxes for 2019 and 2020? We're really having this conversation from a bankruptcy standpoint because one of the big issues facing all of our bankruptcy clients is what happens when I haven't filed my taxes or what happens when I owe money to the IRS or the state of Wisconsin Department of Revenue. Well, we're going to address all of those issues today with Dan Wasserman and answer a lot of the questions that you'll need to know about how to get those taxes filed what to do if I owe taxes. Really want to thank you for listening into the Miller Law Chronicles podcast. And if you like the topics that we're covering, I'd really appreciate it if you would go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and our YouTube page for Miller and Miller and subscribe and like us because it's going to help us in the future continue to provide great content. Hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening into this wonderful podcast of CPA and Milwaukee resident Dan Wasserman. Hello, this is attorney Jamie Miller, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of the Miller Law Chronicles podcast. And today I'm really excited to welcome a good friend and a CPA here in the Milwaukee area by the name of Dan Wasserman. This is a very important topic that we're covering today, bankruptcy and taxes, as we have just cycled through 2023 and we're getting ready for everyone to get those W-2s and start thinking about getting those taxes filed by April 15th this year. Dan, thank you so much for joining me and I appreciate your time today on this really important topic. You're welcome, and it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Then tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about, I know your practice here in Milwaukee, where you're located, what you do, and tell me a little bit. I know you grew up here in Milwaukee, so get, give sure. me the Dan Wasserman spiel. Okay, I'll give you the brief spiel. I grew okay. up in the area, and I've lived most of my life in the Milwaukee area, as I still do. I have two, our, my accounting firm is 12 people. So we're not what I'd call a large accounting firm, but we're bigger than the guy that works out of his basement. We have two offices, one in Oak Creek and one in Brookshield. And of the 12 of us, nine of us are degreed accountants and the other three are support staff. I um, went to school, I got my undergraduate degree at UW-Madison with a finance major. And then a few years later, I went to UW-Milwaukee and got an accounting major. So I have two majors in the business school as an undergrad. I also have a master's degree in taxation from UW-Milwaukee, 
and I've been a CPA for, I would say it's almost 28 years. Yeah, it's almost 30 years I've been a CPA, and that's about as long as I've been in practice, too. So what we do is we, among other things, we prepare income tax returns for people. And we also do a lot of work for businesses as well, small business work. And out of complete uh, disclosure, I know you went to Nicolay High School and graduated with, with my wife same year. And right. you guys just had mm-hmm. your 30th uh, high school reunion this past summer. So congratulations on that. Thank you <laughs> for surviving 30 years from that high school. It's worth congratulating. No, thank you. Time, time goes so fast. As you know, we represent at Miller Miller a lot of clients that need to go through the bankruptcy process. And one of the challenges of the bankruptcy code is that anybody that files a bankruptcy, whether it's a Chapter 11 business bankruptcy, individual chapter seven, discharge of your debts through a chapter seven or repayment plan through a chapter 13, the bankruptcy courts require that everyone that goes through the process file their last four years of income taxes. And we often, more often than not, I should say, find that that's the biggest obstacle to our clients for filing bankruptcy. They may come in and say, yeah, I go, you know, I always ask, did you file your last four years of taxes? Yes, no, I don't know. I guess my first question is, how, how does someone verify whether their taxes have been filed? Is there a way to know that? There is. And I'm assuming we're specifically talking about federal income tax return. We're talking federal. Depending on the state you live in, there may be a state requirement. But speaking for federal, there's a couple of ways to find out if you filed. The way that's become, there's a, it's a little more complicated, but you can create your own account with the IRS. You go to irs.gov and point and click your way through a few times. You could create an account and it's a pretty handy way to see what's been filed for you. And what's not handy is the, you have to make sure you've got about a half hour of free time because they, the IRS through the website will ask you a multitude of personal questions to identify your identity. But once you have your account with irs.gov, it's kind of a nice thing to have. However, a lot of people aren't going to go through that whole rigmarole of doing it. The easiest way is to call the IRS. There's a couple of toll-free numbers that the IRS has. And if you wait on hold long enough, you will get a live person. And if you say, I'm calling to find out what tax returns you'd have for me on file and which ones you don't, and they will tell you. And that's really the simplest way. Right. And if someone hasn't filed their taxes, they find out that, for instance, their 2019 tax year hasn't been filed. They remember they were employed. They may have had multiple W-2 job jobs. How how do they, and they can't find those W-2s from four years ago. How do they find them and how can they get to the point of actually filing those taxes? One of two ways. The first way is the quickest way, but it doesn't always work out for people as you simply call your employer and say, I know I worked for this company in 2019 and I worked for this other company in 2019. If you know you had two jobs, the easiest way is to call the employer and tell them you need a copy of your W-2. They will have a copy of your W-2. If the employee is completely out of business and impossible to get a hold of, or you had six jobs in 2019 and you can't even remember who half of them were, there's another way to get a copy of your W-2s, and that's through the IRS. Again, 
You can do it through their website. If you have an account at irs.gov, you can get what's called a transcript. A transcript is, is, you know, a lot of us know what the W-2s are. They come in a piece of paper and it's got all that information on it. All that information is put into the IRS computer. And if you have an account with irs.gov, you can actually pull up your transcripts for the last several years. If it's more than, I believe, four years old, they won't have them on there on the irs.gov. So this is the other way to go about getting it is there's a form called 4506T. You fill that out requesting copies of your W-2s. You send it to the IRS and usually within six to seven weeks, they will mail you your transcripts of your W-2s. Then it's oftentimes the route we have to take for people. And is that different from the tax return transcript? So the, tr- like the IRS, well, if, the, if yeah. I, yeah, explain that to me. A transcript with, in used in this context means it's just a printout on another piece of paper with form number, line number, here's the figure that goes there. So a W-2 transcript will say, W-2 transcript, box one, here's the number, box two, here's the number. So it won't be a photocopy of your original W-2, but it'll have all the information in that type of format. As you mentioned, you could also get a transcript of a filed income tax return, where I'll say 1040 line one, here's the number, 1040 line seven, here's the number. So you can get W-2 transcripts. And so can I file my tax returns with the W-2 transcript using that information? Yes. That's awesome. That's really awesome because mm-hmm. that is such I'll mention a... what is not on, unfortunately, what's not on the federal transcripts is your Wisconsin or assuming you're a Wisconsin resident or any state, the state income taxes withheld are omitted from those W-2 transcripts. If you need to know what was withheld from the state of Wisconsin, you can call the Wisconsin Department of Revenue and they can provide that information similar to how the IRS does it. Right. And then if my employer didn't give me a W-2 for that year, of course, it's not going to be there. And that could be a problem down the road when you're filing your taxes and maybe that W-2 gets filed at a later time or something like that. Is that correct? Well, yeah, there's pretty severe penalties for employers that file late W-2s because when you get a W-2 from your employer, a copy must go to the Social Security Administration, which ends up on the IRS website, and a copy goes to the state of Wisconsin, there are severe penalties for employers that don't do that. But even if you don't know, if a tra- if, if you go and get your transcript and you see an omission of a W-2 that should be there, chances are the employer never filed. So, you know, technically you still have to put something on your tax return, but in practice, I would just ignore it. Okay. And then if someone's um, self-employed and they're getting 1099s, can you get the 1099s the same similarly? Will those appear on the W-2 transcript or is there a 1099 transcript? They will. You can request copies of all transcripts that were issued to your social security number for a certain tax year. And that would include W-2s and 1099s. And one other form that isn't an income form, but it's a 1098 form, 1098. That shows the amount of mortgage interest you pay. There's a copy of that goes to the IRS as well. So if you just request all transcripts, that will include 1099s along with the W-2s. Right. And if I would come to you or a client comes to you, is there any expedited way for you to get those that information for the client? Not that I'm aware 
Other than okay. I would say if, if it's really necessary that time is of the essence, I would recommend that the client go to the IRS office in the city of Milwaukee and stand in line and request it right then and there. Right. So two really great lessons here. I, I appreciate that. So one of them is if you're not sure if you filed your taxes, call the IRS, wait on hold and ask them and get that information because that's really important to us as bankruptcy lawyers. The other one is, you know, right. fill out that 4506T and get that W-2 uh, transcript because that's going to help you get those taxes prepared for those prior years. That's awesome thing. Thank you for that. That's right. very valuable. The, the other question is, Welcome. we represent a lot of self-employed people, you know, with all the gig work mm -hmm. that's come out of COVID, people that are, you know, self-employed contractors, Uber, Instacart, you know, they're, they're not a big corporation. They may be sole proprietors, meaning they don't operate as a corporation. How do I tell those people to get taxes filed from two or three years ago and they haven't done a great job, perhaps, of keeping records of exactly what their income and expenses are for a given year? Here's when I tell those people, because I run into them myself. I say, first of all, get all the 1099s and W-2s that were issued in your name. And we just discussed how to do that. But with self-employed people, though the 1099s don't tell the whole story. A lot of customers of businesses don't send 1099s. So for instance, let's say you're a self-employed and you were a carpenter and you worked, you hired yourself out to do different jobs. Well, most of the people who are paying you are not going to issue a 1099 if your customers are homeowners. You know, homeowners aren't going to issue a 1099. So what I tell these people is this. If you have absolutely no business records at all, write down on a piece of paper what a reasonable expectation of your total income was for that year. And by income, I mean your revenue, the total amount you've taken in and total sales to your customers. And then list for me what your expenses were. So in other words, by categorization, for instance, my telephone expense was this much. I spent this much on supplies, this much on insurance, and so on. Now, if they have absolutely no records, I tell them to do the best reasonable, honest estimate that they can. And then I take a look at that. And if it passes my SNF test, I'll prepare a tax return with it. It sounds like it's pretty loosey-goosey, and why would an accountant prepare a tax return based on somebody's estimates? And the answer is, that's what we're supposed to do. We have to do something. I know there's various reasons, like you described in bankruptcy, why filing tax returns are important. There's also a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with bankruptcy that filing tax returns are extremely important. If I could expand on this, if you'd like, I'll talk about one briefly. People have heard of what's called the statute of limitations. That means after a certain amount of time, the government can't go after you for misrepresenting your income on a tax return. And for the United States, it's a three-year statute of limitations. So if you fought, but the statute of limitations clock for that three-year clock doesn't start until you file a return. So if you filed your 2019 tax return, the due date for that was April 15th of 2020. So three years after that is April 15th of 2023. After April 15th of 2023, they can no longer audit you for 2019. But if you never file, you've never started this clock for the statute of limitation. Now, one qualification for that is if you commit tax fraud, that's where knowingly and willfully understating your income, that's no longer a civil 
acts of it's no longer an omission where they could just nail you for extra money. That's considered a crime. And for for criminal acts of tax evasion, there is no statute of limitations. So, but the IRS typically only goes after those cases and, and charges people criminal acts it's, if it's pretty egregious. So if, in my example, if you're a carpenter and we end up reporting net income of $30,000 and you really had $40,000, the likelihood that the IRS would go after you criminally is very remote. But back to what I, your question, what do you do when nobody has records? I take a look at what they've given me and I try to assess the reasonableness of it. For example, if they say, okay, the net income after deducting my expenses was $60,000 a year, and I see that they were making mortgage payments of $5,000 a month on their $700,000 home and they have new cars, I'm gonna ask some questions. Is this all the money you really made or how did you finance this lifestyle? If they have an answer for how they finance their lifestyle, that's fine. If they don't, I will not prepare that return because I then become liable to penalties. So we accountants are unfortunately the first layer of defense the IRS uses. They impose penalties on us if we knowingly file a false income tax return or knowingly didn't use our due diligence. And that's what I was talking about with, does the income match the lifestyle? But assuming the income is close to the lifestyle, I will put it on a return and file it. I will disclaim it too. Meaning there is a form I could put on the return saying, hey, it, this is what it essentially says. We did the best we could with what we had. We think this is right for all intents and purposes. But we have to and actually alert the IRS to that. Yeah. And what's interesting in the bankruptcy world is we'll file taxes for, you know, let's say, ask a client to file taxes for 2021. And the court's looking at that lifestyle thing also, but they'll also ask for bank statements and they'll, you know, business mm -hmm. bank statements. If someone's, you know, S corp or C corp and they have a business bank account or checking account, they'll try to balance that with the taxes in smaller sole proprietorships, there's often that co-mingling between the personal and the business. So it right. makes more of a challenge. Right. And so that's why your lifestyle question and thought is really important and a good standard to go by. Sure. And, and then maybe I should clarify a previous point because you brought up bank statements. The answer that I gave where I say, write down what you assume it was, that is the assumption. I would give that answer if they had absolutely no records at all. If they had business bank statements, I would absolutely demand to see all the business bank statements to at least start forming a picture of what the reality was that we could put on a tax return. Right, and what are common mistakes that you see clients make when they're trying to put their numbers together to create that tax return from a previously a pre prior year that hasn't been filed yet? Well. Common mistakes that I see are as follows. One is people get very confused with how to deduct their vehicle. And admittedly, it's a very complicated way to do tax deductions. But back to my little example, the carpenter works out of his house. He drives to and from different jobs. He's like, well, that's my business vehicle. So he deducts his payments that he has on his vehicle loan, principal and interest, deducts his gasoline, maintenance and repairs, and all of those things. That is an incorrect way of deducting your vehicle. I can talk for 
at length with the correct way of deducting your vehicles, but it's not as common sense as one would think. Because what I just described might sound like it makes sense, but it doesn't. That is not the correct way to go. So oftentimes, how the vehicle is accounted for has to be scrutinized. The real estate I, I, too, thing, I would think. The real estate um, too. I get a lot of clients that work from home and. Well, since I work from home, I can claim my entire mortgage payment as a deduction and it doesn't work that way. Well, it, that's another example of how to incorrectly do it. The home office deduction, so that's what we're describing here, is, yeah, a lot of people do work from home and they are entitled to a deduction for some of their personal costs because they're, that's their business place. But the home office deduction rules are very specific and pretty strict. It's not as valuable as a lot of people think it is. By the time you're done applying the law correctly, the home, all, home office deduction isn't so great. One of the things people don't realize is when you take a home office deduction, you have to have a space in your house that's dedicated 100% for business use. That means this, let's say you have a room that's your, you've got your office in, you've got a desk there, and you also have a TV and a couch. So while you're sitting at your desk working, once in a while, one of your kids will come in and sit and watch TV. You may not realize it, but you've just blown the whole office deduction. That is no longer a deductible home office because it must be 100% business use. So in other words, specific ways that you have to allocate the costs of your home just associated with that office. So that's a pretty common one you mentioned. Yes. And what, what's the different type of filing people need to do? So most of my clients, there's different types of corporations, but many of them have formed LLCs. Mm -hmm. um, what type of taxes would one file if someone's a, a construction business or even is in the gig work area and they formed an LLC through the state of Wisconsin? An LLC for tax purposes is is that this is the technical term. It's called a disregarded entity. So for legal purposes, when you have a business and you form a limited liability company or LLC, you get some legal protection. You get some protection against your personal assets for potential problems that may occur at the business side. For tax purposes, it's as if the LLC doesn't exist. You are taxed identically as if you were a sole proprietor. So oftentimes there's partnership LLC. So you and I form a business together. We're 50-50 partners. And I'm just going to put this very simply. You report half the business income. I report half the business income on our personal returns. If we're a partnership LLC, that doesn't change one bit. We still report it the same way. So for taxes, LLCs are, are essentially as if they didn't exist. And how does one know whether to film, fill out a Schedule C or not to fill out a Schedule C when they do their taxes versus either do a, do a Schedule C or how do you know when you have to do a separate corporate tax return? A separate business, let's call it a separate business tax return. If you are self-employed and you have your own business and you have no partners, whether you form an LLC or don't form an LLC, that's your tax is what's called a sole proprietorship. And they are the ones that fill out Schedule C's. Schedule C is in Charlie. That's for sole proprietorship. You show your revenue, you show your different expenses. It's right on your personal return. If we are a partnership or a partnership LLC, we do file a separate income tax return called a 1065. 1065 is a completely separate return. But that calculates the net income. And back to my example, if we're 50-50 partners, I will report 50% of the net 
income on my personal return on my Schedule E. He has an echo, as will you, from the 1065. The 1065 generates a form called a K-1. A lot of people have heard the term K-1. What a K-1 really says is, okay, we filed the 1065. Mr. Miller, this is what your K-1, this is your portion of the company income that you record on your personal return. K-1 is like an information form, kind of like a W-2 or a 1099. So that's partnerships and sole proprietorships. The other bit, there's another business structure where you also get a K-1, it's called an S-corporation. And I don't know how deep you want to get into that, but an S-corporation has a completely different set of rules, similar to a partnership, but that's a separate tax return for K-1 as well. Okay. And then the, the other question that I get and clients say, well, well, why haven't you filed your 2021 taxes? Well, you know what? I looked at it and I owe money and I was just scared to file it because I didn't want to owe money. What, what do you suggest in that situation? What I would absolutely suggest is you have, it, it's way more important to file a return than it is to pay your taxes. And that sounds it might sound like the opposite of what you'd expect me to say. Once you file your return and the amount of tax is determined, the IRS, and you can't pay it, the IRS will offer you ways to go on payment plans if you just can't quite pay it in full. But unless you file the return, they will not even work with you. And if the IRS thinks you owe money, so let me give an example. We talked about 1099s. Let's say a bunch of 1099s were issued to you, an individual, and he never files a tax return. The IRS has copies of all the W-2s and 1099s issued to you. They, their computer can mock up together a, a, a tax return for you without giving you any deductions. They'll say, you know what? This guy never filed a tax return. Based on his 1099s and assuming he had no legitimate deductions, he owes $20,000 in tax. He hasn't filed a return. We're just going to send him a bill for $20,000. And if you don't dispute it, you take the IRS letter and throw it in the garbage, that 20000 will eventually become reality. And the real number is usually a lot smaller than $20,000. Whatever they assess you with what's called an estimated assessment is typically about three times what the actual tax would have been. So it's to your question, absolutely get the return filed, even if you can't pay it. And when does the IRS do those estimated assessments? Sometimes, because I have clients that I haven't filed taxes in 20 years. I haven't heard from the IRS. That certainly sure. isn't the norm. I mean, certain. it sounds like Usually some people they don't slip do through it. the cracks. Right. No, let's say all of your sources of income are on W-2s. You've been not self-employed, but an employee somewhere. The IRS has a copy of all your W-2s. But on your W-2s, it also shows what income taxes were withheld from your pay. Their computer can put all of your W-2s together and say, you know what? This person who never filed probably would have gotten a $1,000 refund. They're not going to send you a letter saying, hey, you better file because this refund is going to go away. They do nothing. They only come after you. I shouldn't say only. They generally come after you when they take the combination of your 1099s and W-2s and no return is filed and they think you owe money. Then they're going to come after you. Got it. Any other insight. What if I have five of my taxes and I owe the IRS $50,000? I have no way of paying them that, all that back. What's the best mm -hmm. thing to do? It, it depends on your situation. If you have legitimately no, I mean, if you owe $50,000 and you're disabled and you can't work and your only income is from social security, 
I would refer you to Jack's attorney. We don't do this type of work in our office. This is called collection type work. But I know some people at town that do collection work. And they could probably get you what's called an offer and compromise. And this is what you hear about on the radio. There's a lot of radio ads. We'll change it so you go pennies on the dollar to the IRS. Those are called offers and compromise. I highly recommend that you do not use one of these highly advertised places. I've heard no good stories about them. They take huge retainers and they do very poor work, if any work at all. You're lucky to sometimes get them return your phone calls. I know reputable people in town that will do an offer and compromise for you. Now, an offer and compromise means this. They say, look, you're 75 years old. You're living on Social Security. You owe us $100,000. We know there's no way you're going to pay us back. Could you pay us $3,000? If you do, this will all go away. And oftentimes, these people will find $3,000, whether it comes from a family member or a friend, who knows. But that is a nice way to absolve yourself of the debt so you can sleep at night. Because a lot of us wouldn't feel really good knowing that debt was hanging over our head. And let's say you're young and you're working, and you really could probably pay 5000 a year on a loan to the IRS. They can give you an offer and compromise based on a loan payback too. So in other words, if you owe $50,000 and you make 70000 a year, they can say, look, we'll take 4000 a year from you for the next five years, it's $20,000, and then we'll call it even. So that's another way of doing an offer and compromise. But offers and compromise, they work, they can be achieved, but it has to be done correctly. And after you have an offer and compromise, if within a year or two, you end up owing taxes, you can't pay that, the IRS has the ability to invalidate your original offer and compromise. So you really do want to stay in the state straight and narrow, obviously. Right. And, and what's uncollectible status mean? I hear that term also. I guess I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I can give you a ridiculous example. Like your only income is 30000 or 25000 a year from Social Security and you owe $200,000 in tax. You're completely insolvent. They know there's right. no way you're going to pay it back. Right. Right. And then your insight today is spot on perfect. Thank you so much. And right. my last Welcome. question is, we're dealing with a lot of people with small businesses and how does one decide to hire a CPA versus go to one of these retail tax preparers? Can you take me through and just help my clients understand, you know, sure. when to go to a CPA and when maybe going to one of those retail establishments will work for you? Well, let's start with just individual income tax returns. Let's say you don't even have a business. The retail establishments like an H.R. Block or a Liberty Tax, are you talking about those kind of places? Yes. You'd be surprised. Or doing it on your um, own. Okay. Well, some people do it on their own. And if they're just a wage earner, meaning they get W-2 income and they have a very simple return, most of the time I see some homemade jobs that are pretty good. What I will tell you, though, is when it becomes more complex, when you have a business for certain, I would not try doing it on your own because, you know, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but the truth of the matter is you don't know what you don't know. You, you might not realize money you're leaving on the table. In other words, not taking allowable deductions or doing something intelligent to legally lower your tax. If you're just not aware of it because you don't do it for a living, you're, you're going to miss out on it. 
And also, on the other hand, I've sometimes seen homemade jobs that are too aggressive, that they actually ended up understating their income and paying less in tax than they should have. And they're, yeah, I say this to them, I say, look, you really made a big mistake here. Your tax was actually a lot higher than what you paid, what you recorded. You know, our first job as accountants is to make sure it's correct and accurate. Accuracy is the first thing that we have to worry about. The second thing we worry about is can we legally and aggressively, but I'll say it again, legally lower your income tax. So unless you do it for a living, you're not going to be able to get there. And this is the example. I love giving this example. A lot of people can prepare their own tax return and a lot of people can cut their own lawn. When I moved into my second house, the lawn was a little funky and a lot of trees. I'm used to cutting my own lawn. I'm going to do it anyway. So it took me three and a half hours. It looked horrible. And I was very frustrated. Well, I could pay somebody to do it. It'll take them half an hour and it looks perfect. Very similar with us. A lot of people that can do their own tax return might take them a long time and be very frustrating and they don't know what they're screwing up or they could just hire us or a qualified accountant. But as far as like the HR block and the liberty taxes for business, I would not. That's just not, you're not hiring the right person. Right. And, it, you know, not all accountants are the same and not all CPAs are the same. Very and, true. Um, right. I, again, I can disclose that Dan has been my personal mm -hmm. business accountant for years. And I had another accountant that I worked with for a long time. They did a, a really nice job and I switched accountants mm -hmm. and, and came over to Dan. And just to have that different point of view is something that is very valuable. And if you currently have an accountant and you're happy, I, I love that. That's perfect. But I can tell you from personal experience, it's always good every once, every couple years to get a different set of eyes on your books, just to make sure that you're taking advantage of all the legal tax advantages that are out there to you. And with that, I just appreciate your time so much and appreciate all your advice and information over the years. You're wonderful to work with. If my listeners want to reach out and bother you, what's the best way to have them find you out? To call. In the... To call. One thing you'll find about me is I, I'm very accessible and I believe in returning phone calls and emails right away. And so I will say by phone. I'm happy to talk tax. I don't charge for an initial consult and be happy to talk to whoever. Yeah, you are so, very accessible. I, I applaud you for that. Yeah. So you're just wonderful Thanks. to work with. And thank you for the time Thanks, today. And you're welcome. Uh, we will talk soon. Thanks, Dan. Okay. You're welcome.